Amen. You may be seated. Man, those songs, I hope you have those on a playlist for the rest of your day and your week and keep adding to them. Um, it's amazing when they tie in, and I think you'll see what I mean, but so, so much of the imagery, so many of the phrases will probably come out in the scripture that we're looking at today, one or the other. We're in this five-week series called Crowns, and this is week two, and it takes us into Easter next week and beyond. We're going from King David to Jesus, the son of David, from Jesus wearing a crown of thorns, which you'll picture on Good Friday this week, to the imagery of us laying down our crowns at the feet of Jesus because he's the only one worthy of a crown anyway. So last Sunday, we had a focus on King David, a man after God's own heart, and we learned about the promise the Lord made to him, to King David, that uh, the Lord would raise up one of David's descendants, establish his kingdom, and secure his royal throne forever. And so today, we're looking at Jesus, called the Son of David. That means he's the Messiah, he's the King. And so this is Palm Sunday. Isn't that crazy? It just kind of snuck up on us. I don't know about you, but I think about years and years ago going to church with my grandmother and receiving a little cross out of palm branches. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah? And uh, perhaps it was a bookmark for the next year or so until you upgraded to the next one. Uh, But yeah, Palm Sunday. Um, So we're only one week away from Easter weekend. Isn't that crazy? So Palm Sunday, sometimes called the triumphant entry, is recorded in all four gospel accounts. And uh, so it's pretty cool. It's called Palm Sunday because when Jesus was entering Jerusalem, a crowd welcomed him. They spread out their, their cloaks, their clothing on the road before him, and people took palm branches and other leafy branches and spread them out over the road. It's kind of like laying out the red carpet for a king. And so we hear this from Matthew's recording, that Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, praise God in highest heaven. And the word often used here is Hosanna, which means save, we pray. It actually has multiple meanings, but simply put, it's a mixture of prayer and praise. So think about that, Hosanna, it's a mixture of praise and prayer. And the people were waiting for this Messiah, the son of David, and they believed that Jesus was the one promised to King David. So that's where that title comes from. And you don't spread your cloaks and your clothing out on the road for just anyone, do you? You do it for royalty. And this wasn't the first time that something like this had happened. But you also don't just cut down branches for anyone either. You do it because you're welcoming a king. And so this was a a public declaration of their political allegiance to Jesus. And so they're approaching Passover, a celebration of of their freedom when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. And they don't fully understand yet the freedom that Jesus will bring. It's more humble than they could imagine. Jesus found this young donkey. It sounds kind of strange, but he rode in on it to fulfill a prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey. And so in this time and place, a donkey was considered a, a beast of burden. What it means is basically it was used for transportation, but especially to carry a burden or something heavy, something that you wouldn't want to carry yourself. And so Jesus is heading towards the most difficult week of his life, and the cross is in front of him, and he's carrying the weight of the world. He's carrying our burden. 
And so this is Palm Sunday, and we're heading towards Good Friday, as we've mentioned. Jesus must first wear a crown of thorns before wearing his rightful crown. But we know Resurrection Sunday is coming. The stone will be rolled away, and we're going to celebrate that next weekend. But let's pray once again before we enter into this. Father, thank you so much for this morning so far and the way we've been able to celebrate your victory. We know even though we're going into this week of remembering what you've done, we already know that you've accomplished victory. And so we celebrate that today. And as we look into this, uh, enlighten us, help us to understand what it is you have for us in your word. Use it to teach us, use it to change us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're actually going to spend the bulk of our time today on an interaction with Jesus just before, like verses before the triumphant entry. And it's referenced in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, but we're going to read it from Mark's gospel. It's possibly the earliest account with Peter being the eyewitness. So consider that as we read. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. And instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. (laughs) That's incredible. Bartimaeus is his Aramaic name, which means son of Timaeus. And he's the only person in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whose name is given, son of Timaeus, calls out to the son of David. Think about that. So it's his name, but it's also really kind of a description of who his father is. And so think about that. Son of Timaeus calls out to son of David. So we read that he's a blind beggar who's sitting beside the road. And in this context, there wouldn't have been many other options. Manual labor would have been difficult. Uh, He would have been marginalized for being blind because some thought that being blind had to do with sin or even a curse, but it definitely wasn't good. So we see in verse 47 that Bartimaeus, he's sitting on the road, and when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout because he couldn't see, but he could hear. He knew, who is this? It's Jesus. And he's like, that's the son of David. He can help me, right? So Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But the people were yelling out to be quiet, but he only shouted the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. What he was asking was for Jesus to show him mercy, to show him some compassion. And I love verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. And the original Greek reads that Jesus stood, meaning he stood still. So they're, they're making progress. And you know, it's just about to go into Jerusalem. But, but right now, because of this need, he stood still. And so consider this, that the cries of a poor and powerless person caused Jesus to stop in his tracks. Jesus has compassion, and Jesus shows compassion. There are examples of this throughout the Gospels. Even when he's on the way to do something, and something important, he stops in his tracks because he's filled with compassion. And so think about that. As Jesus is standing still, 
he said, tell him to come here. So first, the son of Timaeus calls out to the son of David, but now we see that the son of David is calling for the son of Timaeus. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you. Isn't that funny? So they're telling him to be quiet, but once Jesus straightens them out, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, no problem, yeah, be my guest, come on. So verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. I love what N.T. Wright says, call out to him, and when he summons you, put everything aside and go to him. I want to say that again, just in case you weren't hearing me clearly. Call out to him, being Jesus, and when he summons you, put everything aside to go to him. Verse 51, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? So I didn't put any notes in here, but I'm just thinking like, I wonder if he could ask for anything. But what he says is, Rabbi, I want to see. And the word used here is a Hebrew term, Rabboni. And so it's not just Rabbi like teacher. This one is frequently used to address God in prayer. And so he's requesting mercy and compassion, as we mentioned. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. He also believes that Jesus is, as we learn throughout the the Old Testament, the compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's who he thinks he's talking to. And so Bartimaeus, he only asks for ordinary health. He asks to be made whole. He wants a fresh start from Jesus. Having his eyesight would change everything for him. Jesus responds, go, your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. The word for healed here also means saved, combining both that physical and spiritual, because the kingdom of God is coming, but also the kingdom of God has come, and this is a glimpse into Jesus' power to restore and redeem all things, starting with sight. We know that Jesus healed some 30 people throughout the Gospels, and this is the final healing miracle mentioned in Mark's Gospel, which reaffirms Jesus as the Messiah. Author James R. Edwards Jr. writes, The story of this blind beggar, who ironically sees Jesus more clearly than those with two good eyes, climaxes Mark's teaching on faith and discipleship. So we know that he's blind, but what Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight he actually makes up for in insight. So maybe we should ask ourselves, do we have a blind spot in our faith? This story shows us that you can see Jesus clearly without having to see him physically, or in this case, perhaps before seeing him physically. Without physical eyesight, we can see him, spiritually speaking, of course, and we can recognize who he is. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the king. And this story is all about transformation. Bartimaeus, he goes from being this beggar to all of a sudden at the end being a disciple. He goes from being beside the road to then being on the road with Jesus. And so there's a difference between that position beside the road at the beginning of the story and then on the road at the end. What it signifies is the difference between being an outsider and then being an insider, a bystander to a disciple. Jesus has transformed Bartimaeus from being someone beside the road to someone on the road. And so I really think that this story is about discipleship. Bartimaeus followed Jesus down the road. But what road and to where? Well, we know a little bit of the story, but the point is wherever he's going, wherever he's leading. He doesn't yet know where it's leading, but he's going to follow him anyway. 
And we're called to follow him, even if we don't know where he's leading. Follow him. So he recognizes who Jesus is, and he clearly believes Jesus can help him. And he leaves his begging, and he follows Jesus on the way. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith in who Jesus is. He has the power to save, and that he's trustworthy to follow. So my question would be, what if following Jesus is more important than understanding where he's leading us? Verse 52, and he followed Jesus down the road. So now son of Timaeus follows the son of David down the road. So down the road is often translated. Sometimes I like to see the footnotes. Maybe you do too, whether you're reading digitally or in your physical paper Bible. But often it's translated as on the way. Now, they're on the way to somewhere, but it's actually bigger than that because the way is what early disciples call Christianity before Christian was a nice term to be used for a disciple of Jesus. So I want to talk for a moment about the path of Bartimaeus' discipleship because maybe there's something in here for us that first he recognizes who Jesus is. He recognizes he is the son of David. He's the Messiah. So knowing who Jesus is was a, a, a massive start in the right direction. But he also believes that this Jesus can help him. And we hear at the end, your faith has saved you or has healed you. And then he leaves his bagging. And so he, he left his cloak behind. And because he was a beggar, again, because physical labor was probably out of the question and he was marginalized, he's beside the road. His coat would have been out, kind of like a guitar case open. Not busking, though. No, he's begging. And so it could have been money. There could have been coins that he just left behind. It didn't matter. He has his sight, and he has Jesus, and he's going forward. He follows Jesus on the way. And so he's on the way, even though he might not know where it's leading yet. So again, it's recognize who Jesus is. Believe in faith that he can help you. Leave your old life behind and follow Jesus. And that old way, what I mean is leave your old way to follow his way. It's much better. Three weeks ago, we looked at the four chairs of discipleship. Do you remember that? There were these four green chairs up here representing something. You probably don't remember what. But maybe today someone in here needs to move from chair one to two, which would mean someone who's seeking. They, they've already received the come and see. Just, just come and see. Yeah, easy to say if you can see, right? But in this case, the come and see needs to be followed by follow me. And so maybe it's follow me. You, you don't know where I'm taking you, but follow me anyway. Even if you don't know exactly where Jesus is leading, you can place your trust in him. But that's faith. So again, what if following Jesus is more important than understanding exactly where he's leading us? So again, recognize who Jesus is. Believe in faith that Jesus can help you. Then leave your old life behind. Follow Jesus. So in the NLT, it reads, cheer up, come on, he's calling you. But I love how it's written in the ESV. Often when I'm doing some Bible study or preparing for a message, I'll read in the New Living, the NIV, the ESV, sometimes the message paraphrase, and whatever else I can get my hands on just to, to soak it in. You know, you have to read it a few times. And I love how it's written in the ESV. It says, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. That, that could be it right there. Mic drop, we're out. Verse 50, Bartimaeus, he threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus at that take heart. So the beginning of the invitation was take heart. 
And in mine, it's, it's written in, uh, in red because it's, it's really Jesus' instruction, isn't it? Even though the people carried that message. And he responded to the invitation. But the disciples also heard Jesus say, take heart in John 16. I love this. He said, I have told you all this so that in me you may have peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. You will have many trials and sorrows. You will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because what were we just singing about? I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome. There's Good Friday, which we'll celebrate and remember, but then there's Resurrection Sunday. So we're heading into Holy Week, right? Next Sunday, next weekend, actually, the whole thing. We start on Saturday. We're going to celebrate how Jesus has overcome sin and death. So take heart. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. So Jesus is the Messiah. But one time when John the Baptist, uh, he was actually the one that was sent ahead to announce that Jesus was coming, Herod had put John in prison. We're not going to get into that whole thing, but while he was in prison, he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. He sent his disciples with a few questions to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And many people think that John's question comes out of his circumstance. He was proclaiming of this coming one who would make all things right and set people free. But now John is in, a, is in a prison cell and he's essentially asking, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the king? How can I know for sure, right? So the tension for John the Baptist in this situation is if Jesus isn't the Messiah, then his whole mission in life was a waste. That's the tension. But Jesus responds to John's disciples. Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. And so highlight that for a moment in your mind. What have you heard and what have you seen? And this is what John, or sorry, Jesus sends his disciples back with. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. He actually also adds, and tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Because we often become discouraged when we look at what's happening around us instead of what's happening around Jesus. John had a blind spot. It's as if Jesus is trying to tell John, take heart. He is confirming he is the Messiah based on the results of what he's doing. Miracles have been taking place all around Jesus, and it's because of Jesus. Jesus said John is the man. He's actually encouraging John's disciples. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. And Jesus really is the Messiah. John's mission was not a waste. And John prepared the way for Jesus so we could know him and we could follow him. Thankfully, he did that, and that's why we're here today. I love this from Luke when Jesus came into the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. He went, to the us- he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. 
The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. (laughs) Mic drop once again. The good news is preached to the poor. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The lame will walk. Those with diseases will be cured. The captives will be released. The oppressed will be set free. The dead will be raised because the time of the Lord's favor has come. The kingdom has come. Jesus is king. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's also the Lion of Judah. He's a humble king. Jesus might be meek, but he's not weak. You remember the shirts we wore in New York City? Meek does not equal weak, right? He is powerful. You still got to rock it. I love this. Perhaps some of you have read this or at least watched one of the movies, but I love the scene from Chronicles of Narnia. And maybe the worship team can get ready. We'll wrap up here in a few moments and, and then pray. But I love this scene where Susan finds out that Aslan is a lion. And she basically says, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And you know what Mr. Beaver, isn't it funny? We're talking about Mr. Beaver in church, but safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now it's about Aslan, but we believe that C.S. Lewis had Jesus in mind. Jesus is our king. He isn't safe but he's good. We can approach him, and he asks us to come to him. Do you hear Jesus calling today? Come, follow me. Perhaps you need to move from seat one to seat two, or maybe there's something else that he's calling you forward in that you don't exactly know how clear it is, but you know it's clear enough that he's calling you forward. Bartimaeus, at the invitation, threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. You don't have to do that today. Please, please don't do that today. But you need to probably drop something. Throw it aside and and follow after Jesus. I love how Jesus has transformed Bartimaeus from that beggar beside the road to a disciple on the road. Bartimaeus followed Jesus down the road. Wherever he's going, wherever he's leading, he's going to follow him. So Jesus is calling us to follow him, even if we don't know where he's leading, follow him anyway. Recognize who Jesus is. Believe in faith. Jesus can help you. Leave your old life behind and follow Jesus. Leave your old way to follow his way, because Jesus is the king you've been looking for and searching for. He's a king all of us have been searching for. He has all the authority, but he also has displayed the greatest humility he can, we can give our lives to him because he's already given his life for us. He's our savior and he's our king. So take heart, get up. He's calling you. Father, we thank you so much for this encouraging word today. We thank you for this Palm Sunday where we celebrate your triumphant entry. But we realize that 
as recognizing you as king, first you had to take up a crown of thorns. We thank you so much for your willingness to do that, to be really that sacrificial lamb for us. But we know that Sunday's coming where you're that roaring lion. Father, today what we ask you is to change our heart and to illuminate where things are dark. If we have a blind spot in our faith in in understanding who you are and going after you and following after you, Father, would you give us sight? Would you help us to know what to do next? Father, for anyone in here who they're coming to see you and they are starting to believe in you, would you help them to place their full trust in you? Father, I thank you so much for the way you've transformed so many lives in this room already. We believe in who you are and we believe in what you can do and we've seen the evidence all around us. And God, if we're discouraged even today by the things going on around us, let us see the things going on around you. Let us see how you're transforming lives. We know that you're restoring all things. And so, Father, let it begin with our sight. Let it begin with our heart. We're not reading the Bible just to to finish and just because we have to, but because we want to be changed. We want to know what you're speaking to us. And so, Father, as we're about to sing, God, I look to you. Help us to see you clearly today. Help us to not leave the same way that we came in. Would we be moved by you, by your healing miracle? Even the things that are hard to believe, would we be moved by, by you today? We believe that you're living, you're active, you're in this place right now. And so we commit this time to you as we give you all our praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.